0: Are you a true crime advocate? Are you passionate about uncovering the truth and bringing justice to victims? Do you love the paranormal and spooky tales? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you won't want to miss the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival in Austin, Texas, this August from the 25th to the 27th. This festival features panel discussions, workshops, and live podcasts focusing on ethics and advocacy in the true crime sphere. Get your tickets now at truecrimepodcastfestival.com and join us in Austin for an unforgettable experience. Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer. I am Kenna. I'm Kawal. And I still sound like shit. Eh, hey, fine. Yeah, it's fine.
1: <sighs> we are so excited. Just don't breathe in my face like that. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're I just fucking did like sick. a giant like, <laughs> uh, Great. I hope you guys are excited to have two episodes out in the same day. I know that wasn't necessarily planned, but we made it work because we are. Only here because of you guys, so we want to accommodate you guys as best as we can. True. Before we get started, I just want to make sure that you guys all have our social media. We are at Diagnosing a Killer everywhere except for Twitter at Killer Diagnosis, and then we have our Patreon. We were just teasing about a new episode of the Patreon. I'm sure if you listened to the last episode, you now know that we are doing Albert Fish for the bonus episode for the second and third tier Patreon members mm-hmm. on the 29th of this month, and then it'll be reoccurring. On the 29th of each month, we will have a new crazy episode coming out, yep. so if you'd like to have access to that, go ahead and subscribe to the Patreon, and then get your tickets to the True Crime Podcast Paranormal Festival. Diagnosingakiller.com. You can go on there, use our
1: promo code, get 15% off of a ticket to come see us in Austin in August.
0: <laughs> Austin and August. Dun, dun. And yeah, we love you guys. Thanks for the continuous support. We are slowly but surely getting our numbers up there and if you guys are listening to us in, like, another country, please email us. I just want to, like, talk to you. Yeah. Just tell us where you're from. Say hi. Even just comment on the Instagram. That's fine. Yeah. Send us an email. Send us a DM. Whatever. Just let us know where you're from. We want to know. We want to know. We're not very well-traveled. So, we'd like to, I mean, <laughs> kind of, but mostly in the U.S. So. I'm going to Sweden one day. I know. I'm so excited. Uh, when you do that. I don't know. I want to go to Australia, like, really bad.
1: I kind of made it a point to maybe go this year, but it's already almost halfway through the year. But that was my New Year's resolution. Twine twine floys. Next year is 2024, and it is the year of the dragon, and it is going to be my fucking year. I've already made that decision, so next year is going (laughs) to be my fucking year. Hell yeah. It's my fucking birthday. So <laughs>
0: well, hopefully by this time next year we'll be like mad fame. So
1: well, I don't know about all that, but Seems I definitely want to be able to travel next year. Yeah, I that want... would be really cool.
0: Twenty twenty four is gonna be my year, and maybe potentially Crime Con twenty twenty four. We can oh, look into gosh. that because I know this year it's in London, which is hell of a, but maybe next year we can make it work. We are gonna get into this case, and it's wild. <laughs> This little lady. Speaking of Australia,
1: this little lady's from Down Under. Yeah. I follow a content creator on YouTube. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't really create the content, but he reads uh, transcriptions from chat logs from To Catch a Predator. Oh, God. So, like, yeah, it's fucking grotesque. But hey, baby. (laughs) Hey, baby. It's really (laughs) creepy, but he's australian he has this beautiful australian accent and it's so easily digestible to listen to and he does this thing where he does he does kind of like jim can't swim stuff now but he used to do the the transcription yeah and it's so funny the way he changes his voice because the predator will be like hey baby you know, da, 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 like with his little accent yeah she'll be like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he doesn't even do the R. It's just yeah. yeah. And he's like, "Oh, I work construction. What do you do?" You
0: know? Oh, I go to school. <laughs> Didn't you say he did that? Um,
1: I've never taken anyone's virginity before. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so virginity. Kind. She's like, "Oh wow! Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow!" Like Owen Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh man. Yeah, those fucking creepos are. I love Dave's Lemonade. I wish he did content more often. He usually does stuff like once a month, but... Yeah.
1: Him and Dreading. I love Dreading. I'm subscribed to his Patreon. I love it. It's like him and his brother, I think, that do it, but Dreading is also amazing. It's very, like, Jim Can't Swim inspired type stuff, but I love the host of Dreading. I love his voice, too. It's really easy to listen to. I love when he reads people's letters and stuff, and he'll just pause and just go, Jesus fucking Christ.
0: Like- <laughs> <laughs> if y'all are listening, um, hit us up. Hit us up, hit us up. Yeah. Just do what you do. Um, but yeah, before we get started, I uh, just want uh, to keep saying Just uh. pepper it in. Just pepper it in there. We are doing a collaboration on Monday with yes. Lady you're scaring us. It's going to be super exciting. I am excited to hear Hillary, Taylor, and Morgan's response to our episode i know that they said they're looking forward to hearing it as well and i'm really excited to hear the case i purposefully like didn't get myself integrated into the case details because i want to hear it from them Mm -hmm. so if you guys want to hear a case that goes hand in hand with the mental breakdown we are going to be doing that on monday with the podcast lady you're scaring us they are from florida
1: they are super intelligent women and they are charismatic and they are so fun to listen to so definitely take a listen to, on their podcast, because they're just, they're really awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's super fun to connect with other content creators, especially that have, like, similar interests to us. They work mm-hmm. in the behavioral health field as well, Yeah, so it's really cool to be able to have uh, connected with them and do this collab. And then we have another D.A.K. Live coming up next. Yes. We're going to record it next week. I'm not sure when, it'll, when it will drop, but probably... Yeah pretty soon afterwards probably yeah but you yeah. don't have anything else
1: going on so yeah right
0: that. not like you know <laughs> sick or anything
1: <laughs> i'm excited <laughs> yeah just to share the uh closet with people
0: yeah it's gonna be weird having someone from the outside come on in because the only well, other person like... that's been in the closet is mom well, and then and clark, clark was in a different location though yeah yeah but still like just as
1: i don't know there's something to be said about being jammed in a closet that's like You just want to spill your
0: guts. It's true. You just want to be vulnerable. It's real intimate. It's real intimate. All right, we're going to get into this episode here. Content warning. This episode contains depictions of sexual abuse, child abuse, animal cruelty, spousal abuse, suicide, graphic manipulation of a deceased person, and cannibalism. If one or more of these topics are sensitive subjects for you, please feel free to find another one of our episodes. Remember, your mental health is important to us, and we love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Wow, that was a doozy of a content warning. There's a lot going on (laughs) in this episode. Shit. I, like, I kept finding myself, like, typing and then scrolling back up to the top to, like, add something else into the content warning. Man. This is going to be a doozy, a particularly more in-depth kind of dive in the graphic nature. It's not going to be overly graphic because that's not how we do things here. But there are um, specific things I just want to warn On top of that content warning, the manner of which the body is handled after death is very, very raw and very graphic, just to let everyone know. Hmm. That's going to be the the most kind of grueling part of this. Okay,
1: Yeah. Because I know we definitely talked about having some of our more graphic content only for our Tier 2, Tier 3 Patreon members. Yeah. So. Okay. But I'm really interested. It's not like we haven't tackled some of these issues before. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. (laughs) Everything we've
0: talked about in here has been talked about before in a sensitive manner. So we're going to do it again. Now, we're going to be talking about Catherine Knight. Catherine Knight? Catherine Knight. Have you heard her name before? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, perfect. We okay. are <laughs> in for All a right. fucking well... ride. <laughs> Catherine May Knight was born on October 24th, 1955, in Tenterfield, New South Wales, Australia. She was one of eight children of Barbara Rohan, who was married to a man by the name of Jack Rohan before Catherine was born. Okay. Barbara would have four children with Jack, and at some point during their marriage, Jack would introduce Barbara to a friend and co-worker of his by the name of Ken Knight. Hmm. Get it? Get it? (laughs) (laughs) After marrying and having her first four children with Jack, Barbara and Ken would start up a secret affair. Ooh. Scandalous. Scandal. Of course, they were unable to keep this relationship a secret for long, and they got a lot of backlash from their friends and their family about it. So because of this negative feedback, Barbara and Ken decided to up and move and ended up in a place called Maury, which is East Australia. And if I'm pronouncing any of these names wrong, our Australian listeners, please feel free to correct me. (laughs) I'm not from there, clearly. Upon moving, none of Barbara's four children would go with her. Her two oldest boys would stay with their father, and the two younger boys were actually sent to live with relatives in Sydney. Hmm. So I'm not sure why two of them left and two of them stayed not sure maybe they had a maybe choice and the they were... older
1: boys wanted to stay with dad sure yeah and maybe the younger kiddos were so young that maybe she still had the option of going to visit them when they were young maybe you know? yeah and i'm sure everyone
0: can tell that my throat's still scratchy so just bear with me here hello so the two would eventually move to tenterfield again this is barbara and ken mm-hmm. where the two would also are have... you telling me that their names are barbie and, barbie ken? and ken yeah what the fuck <laughs> totally didn't even like make that connection didn't. until right now <laughs> you didn't i i did and then i remembered Yeah, said <laughs> it's barbie and ken holy shit so on top of the four children that barbara would have with jack she would also have four children with ken mm-hmm. giving her eight children yeah of these four children were Catherine and her twin sister joy whom she was born an hour and a half after <sighs> which is wild that's a long time yeah yeah
1: Well, because during that time, I mean, the amniotic sac is already broken. Yeah. So Catherine was after her? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So Uh, an hour and a half. I don't know
0: what was going on there. Yeah. That's a
1: long time. It
0: was the 50s. (laughs) (laughs) She was probably smoking while she was having them, too. (laughs) She was like, here, just give me a shot. She'll come right out. Right. Um, The children, unfortunately, had a considerably rough childhood growing up. By all accounts, Ken was a raging alcoholic who would rape Barbara up to (gasps) ten times a day. A day? Yes, a day. Which is awful. What the fuck? Yeah, like, awful. As your husband. Or... Well, yeah, it doesn't matter who it is. It's disgusting. Gross. This would happen continuously throughout Catherine's younger years, and in 1959, when Catherine was just four years old, Jack Rohan actually would die... And the two eldest boys who had been living with him would also move into the home with Barbara, Ken, and their four children. So six kids. Now there's six kiddos. You Brady know. Bunch. And all of them are being exposed to this abuse. Oh, it's so fucked up. The assault from Ken would continue over the years, leaving Barbara to be extremely graphic in her discussions with her children when it came to sex, especially with Catherine. So because it was such an open abuse in their family barbara would just kind of talk about her sexual experiences because the kids had already seen it all which is awful barbara would often tell her daughters intimate details of her sex life and how much she hated sex and men so just (laughs) i mean of course they're getting a terrible
1: you know example example yeah yeah. Uh
0: but still hammering in the fact that like men are are, assholes all men are like this yeah This became such a topic of discussion, in fact, that later, when Catherine was old enough to engage with boys, she actually complained to her mother that one of her boyfriends at the time had, like, asked her to take part in a sex act that she was uncomfortable with. She had opened up to her mom about Mm -hmm. it. Barbara's response to Catherine's concerns were to, quote, put up with it and stop complaining. (gasps) Yeah. Just let him abuse you. Let him take advantage of you sexually. Oh,
1: because all men are that way. That's just... You're just going to have to get over that. You're going to have to deal
0: with it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Catherine's boyfriend was not the only cause for concern for her growing up, however. And unfortunately, Catherine would later admit to being sexually assaulted by multiple members of her immediate family growing up, with the exception of her father, Ken. So she would accuse her brothers of sexually assaulting her. Yeah. Yeah. It is thought that her brothers would frequently engage in sexual abuse at Catherine's expense until she was around 11 years old. These are the two older boys that are her Mm half-siblings. Okay. Although there are doubts around the details, it is widely believed that this did occur. And it's not far-fetched to think that she's telling the truth, of course, especially since other family members had actually confirmed her claims.
1: Well, and not only that, but her mom has been so vocal just about sex in general. Like, why would they think it's weird to sexually abuse even someone in their
0: family? Exactly. Not excusing it, just... Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Catherine would later also tell sources that her parents would beat her other siblings with a dog leash and an electric cord, uh, but this was never confirmed. Again, Catherine doesn't really seem like she... It's not far-fetched that this is true because of all the other things going on. Right. Now, Catherine's great-grandmother was an indigenous Australian woman from the Maury area who had married into an Irish family. Barbara was known as being very proud of this fact, And she would identify herself as an Aboriginal, Mm -hmm. so a native Australian woman. Mm -hmm. This was actually kept a family secret because, unfortunately, there was considerable racism in the area at the time of her growing up and even, like, during Catherine's childhood. Mm -hmm. Barbara's descent was also a considerable source of tension for the children and the family since the children were mixed race as well. And this would become a big topic of stress in the household, like, considerably enough to that they had, to the point where they had to mention it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, all in all, this abuse and argumentative environment continued for many years in the household, and it kind of left Catherine feeling like her twin sister, Joy, and her uncle, Oscar, were the the only two people that she was really close with, so she had a good relationship with her uncle, Oscar. Oscar was a champion horseman, and yeah. Catherine really looked up to him in terms of an adult male figure that didn't abuse her. Although her father didn't sexually abuse her, in her claims, he was very abusive to her, the rest of her family. Right? Yeah, um, he was still an abuser. Physic- yeah, yeah, exactly. In 1969, Catherine was absolutely devastated to find out that her happy, outgoing, and loving Uncle Oscar had actually taken his own life, oh, and no. she was completely beside herself. Oh my God! The one person, the one adult figure in your life that like really has your back. Right. The same year that Oscar had passed, the family would move to Aberdeen. This is about five hours south from Maury, so southeast Australia. Okay. Catherine would attend high school at Muswellbrook, where classmates would refer to her as a, quote, loner and a, quote, bully who stood over smaller children. Oh. So she'd tend to, like, pick on children yeah. that were smaller.
1: Well, that's all that she's ever seen is the dominant person and the dominant figure in the house. You know, there's, like, a pecking order.
0: Yeah, you pick on someone that can't defend themselves. Right. She was also, as well as this, noted as being pleasant as a student at mm-hmm. most times, and she actually even earned several awards for good behavior. Hmm. But when she did snap, she would fly into a, quote, murderous rage. This is like faculty to say. Maniacal sweat. <laughs> yeah, with maniacal sweat. <laughs> Catherine was especially interested in bullying the boys at her school. And at one point, she assaulted at least one young boy with a weapon. Wow. This was very vague. There wasn't really anything that kind of came from this. Yeah. Uh, Again, the rest of the details weren't really laid out online, but there was another incident that took place when Catherine was once injured by a teacher who supposedly acted in self-defense when targeted by Catherine. Okay. Okay. No charges were filed for either of these events, and Catherine was allowed to remain enrolled in the school, so. You
1: would think she would go to, like, an alternative school or something? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Does, I mean, I'm sure other countries have alternative <laughs> schools. <laughs> Do they even have alternative
0: schools? Do they even have alternative school? <laughs> yes, I, we know that you guys have alternative schools. And if you don't, let us know, because actually <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, I don't know. Again, this was, what, 60, 70, early yeah. 70? Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. No, well, it's still in early 70. I'm pretty sure they had alternative schools. Either way, this makes sense coming to this next point. Although she was getting awards when her behavior was good, she was not excelling academically. She was actually pretty close to being illiterate. Oh, okay. She couldn't read, couldn't write, and she actually took it upon herself to drop out of school altogether when she was just 15. Aww. I know. It's a big bummer.
1: Do you think that it's, do you think it was a learning
0: disability of some kind or do you think that it was just not getting help at home or? I think it might have been like a mixture of both. Yeah. I think it was more so like neglect in the household. Like they probably didn't give a shit about if she had homework or, you know, whatever. Like they probably didn't care. They have other shit going on with all the abuse, you know, that he wants to portray on the family. So knowing that she needed to find a job when she left school, Catherine was able to land a job that did not require being able to read or or write. She actually gained employment as a cutter in a clothing factory. Oh, okay. She would work at this job for just over a year, and upon leaving this business, Catherine got what she referred to as her, quote, dream job cutting up offal at the local abattoir. What, do those what mean? are those words? What are those words? I want to. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was that noise? <laughs> <laughs> it's so sharp. Screamed into the mic. I am so sorry if anyone's wearing headphones. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm so sorry. So cutting up offal. I had to look up what both those words meant. Essentially, she was working in a slaughterhouse, which is the abattoir. Uh, she was cutting the non-usable pieces of meat from the animal and exposing like the cuts that they would sell. Okay. So she was just a butcher. It's not an
1: offal. It's an offal.
0: It might be O-F-F-A-L. Awful? Awful, yeah. Whatever. Whatever it's called, that's what she was doing. She was a slaughterhouse. (laughs) I didn't mean to shout. (laughs) It was was loud. She was really
1: excited to translate that to me. (laughs) She was really excited. She's like, oh my god, you
0: don't know what that (laughs) means. I didn't either. I'm not like, cool. Uh, So Catherine's father was actually also working at a slaughterhouse. Not, I'm not sure if it was this one or not, but it's assumed that she got the idea that she wanted to work there at, like, a young age because he worked there. So that was her dream job, is what you said. Although, yeah, I can't imagine why she would want to follow in his footsteps, but maybe it's, like, the only job that she knew about because her father did it, you Or know? maybe she
1: already had maniacal sweat thoughts and,
0: so, and, yeah. That's a, She uh, just wanted to get her hands uh, a little dirty. Yeah, that's a good, good guess. Mm-hmm. Catherine would excel at this job and even quickly... Became promoted to boning, which is removing the boat, like deboning the meat, pretty much. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah, uh, lol. Boning. <laughs> so oh, well. It's a bone. It's a puss. It's a puss. Due to her new position, Catherine was given her own set of butchers' knives, which she hmm. absolutely adored. So much so that she would actually hang them over her bed while she slept at night. What? Like, what if they fall, girl? Like, you're gonna get sliced. She was hoping. <laughs> she said that she did this so that they, quote, would always be handy if I needed them. Like, what? Like, you just need a set of butcher knives. To book me. Okay. I
1: guess, like, some people sleep with, like, a gun under their pillow, which is dumb. I mean, yeah, that's so
0: dumb. <laughs> under your pillow? No. No, I put mine in my nightstand, but Casey, <laughs> I'll go to Casey's house and I'll have, like, a shotgun on the bed. I'm like, did you sleep with this next to you? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, okay. no! There's a safety on it. But... Still. <laughs> oh. I don't know. Yeah, Sometimes I, I text
1: in my sleep, so I don't know. I... <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Shoot in my
0: sleep. <laughs> Two years into working at the slaughterhouse in 1973, 18-year-old Catherine gained a co-worker by the name of David Stanford Kellett. Catherine immediately took a liking to David because instead of being the shy, timid boy that she had been used to being around in school... David was a heavy drinker and a fighter. Oh, okay. So in Catherine's eyes, he was the perfect bad boy that sh- he was immediately man. attracted to. A man. Yeah. What Catherine did not know, however, was that David was not just an alcoholic and a fighter by trade, or to seem cool, but in reality, he had been through two very traumatic events that caused his drinking to go overboard in an attempt to escape reality. Mm-hmm. It's, like, really sad. David's previous job included working on the railroads in Coffs Harbor, while on the job, David's best friend had been killed in front of him in a shunting accident. What's a shun- What's shunting? So I looked it up as well. This is an umbrella term for anything having to do with, like, attaching and detaching railway cars. Oh, shit. So he essentially got, like, run over. Oh, that's awful. The other incident that severely scarred David was a different time when he found himself in a tragic situation. A school bus had been struck by a train, and it had actually killed six children, so David and his crew were working to get the injured but still alive occupants out of the bus, but knowing that six children had died during the incident really stuck with David, and it caused him to drink a lot.
1: That reminds me of that episode we did on the things that are no longer diagnosable. Mm. It was the male hysteria that was also considered, they called it train, what did they call it? They called it rail railway PTSD oh, yeah. or something, and it was just because... The masses hadn't really seen traumatic accidents like that. I mean, this is before automobile accidents. Yeah. So it was the in the event that you would see this, a railway accident, somebody getting hit by a train or, you know, trains derailing or whatever. That's oh,
0: awful. People
1: getting run over or hit. And it, you know, they diagnosed you with, you know, railway syndrome or whatever yeah. it was, which was, we know now as PTSD, but... That's really interesting That's really that he had sad. two experiences like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then, I mean, the two situations, of course, the stress just became too much. Mm-hmm. And he was actually let go of the job due to poor behavior and poor performance because yeah. he was just so like just broken out. up about it. Yeah. Like, fortunately, nowadays, we see, like, a lot – we're seeing a lot more jobs that are offering, like, mental health services or, like, mental health time off and stuff like that. But, of right. course, that wasn't the case. Right. You know, back then, especially in jobs like this, like, they needed these guys all the time, you know? Definitely can wear down your mental health. Um, so, after losing the job at the railroad, this is when David would actually get the job at the Aberdeen Abattoir and became close friends with Catherine's older brother. Okay. Catherine and David quickly became friends as well. And Catherine would prove herself loyal to David by frequently stepping into fights of his, defending him by punching whoever was messing with him at the time.
1: Oh my god. (laughs) Literally just witnessed something like that the other night at the bar where this chick was like in
0: between these two dudes that are trying to fight. I'm just shaking my head because like that's low-key like me as fuck. Like I'll be the one that steps in front of a guy and I'm like, you're not gonna fucking hit me until I get like (laughs) fucking knocked out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hasn't happened yet, but Jesus Christ! No, I feel like
1: if two dudes are starting some shit, the le- like the seriously the worst thing you can do is put yourself in the middle of it.
0: Yeah, I learned. I didn't learn my lesson just yet, but I think I won't do that anymore. Yeah. Although was- I'm probably not like gonna be around like two dudes fighting because we're all adults now. So. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, you know. I always know. feel like if you're old enough and like big enough to feel like you can just pop off at the mouth at some fucking dude, then
0: maybe you do deserve to get your ass kicked. That's I'm not true. gonna defend you. That's true. <laughs> So at first, David was surprised and maybe even impressed by Catherine's willingness to stand up for him. But when it became known around town that Catherine would physically fight anyone that looked at her wrong, David began to dislike the idea of her. He was like, you know what? Maybe she's like a drama star. (laughs) (laughs) My man's not looking at you. I mean, he's kind of looking at me. He's looking at
1: you. He's looking at you. Yeah, exactly. Like she was trying to
0: start shit? Well, not necessarily. But like if anyone like tried to talk to David or like came up to him, she would like Book like, immediately just, like, f- like, falls to the wall immediately instead of, like, compromise. <laughs> Was she, like, just overprotective of him? I think like, so. Territorial, rather. Yeah, not overprotective. Th- yes. yeah. I think so. Territorial. So, unfortunately for David, Catherine had now an extreme liking for him that only grew, and she would quickly become domineering in their relationship. Less than a year later, in 1974, Catherine would convince, or force, David to marry her, to which he agreed. What? Or- was forced. <laughs> I
1: don't know if he agreed or not. <laughs> She's like, you want to get married? And he's like, no, it's okay. She's like, yeah, that's Fan Oh, like, yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. we're Yeah. We're now. getting
0: married. So yeah. Kind of like that. So the two would quickly make wedding plans or maybe just Catherine and would arrive to the ceremony together via motorcycle. David being noticeably heavily intoxicated on the back of it. So she was driving the motorcycle. And he was wasted. She's oh like, I'm God. driving you to She probably, like, fed him alcohol. I was like, I'm going to get him drunk. So, like, he just marries me they <laughs> so, like, go to the wedding. I was going to ask if he was riding bitch, but, yeah. Okay, yeah. that makes
1: sense. <laughs> He's, like, that little skinny dude always like, yes, dear. You yeah. Know? He's,
0: like, in the sidecar. <laughs> yeah, in <the> asleep, Sleep. Passed <laughs> out with sunglasses on. <laughs> He's fine. Yeah. He's fine. She's like, does his mouth like I do. <laughs> I do. <I, I>, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> So almost as soon as they arrived at the ceremony, Barbara would pull David aside and offer some advice about her Catherine. What David relayed about this conversation is as follows. <laughs> quote, the old girl said to me to watch out. You better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. David continued, quote, And that was her mother talking. She's told me she's got something loose. She's got a loose screw somewhere. End quote. Her own fucking mother? Her mother's like, you are not fuck up or you're dead. But also, like, you can't leave or you're dead. (laughs) What's the answer? It's not funny. You pack a bag and you move to Costa Rica. Yeah. Jesus. Even with Barbara's warning about her daughter, David and Catherine would continue to go through with the ceremony. That night, the two would find themselves consummating the marriage. Not once... Not twice, but three times. Is that according to her, though? Because apparently he had whiskey dick. Like, come on now. He was that fucking wasted. When preparing to have sex for a fourth time... What? Catherine noticed that David had passed out. <laughs> Perhaps <laughs> from the amount of alcohol he drank, or I don't know, maybe he was fucking tired, tired. Of having sex three After times three in times. a row. Jeez. Catherine responded to David being asleep like any of us would, and tried to strangle him awake. <laughs> That's That's not not funny. funny. That's
1: not funny. That's awful.
0: Just because it's a man
1: and a woman, it's not funny. A woman doing it to a man, it's not funny.
0: She literally started strangling him, stating later that the reason that she did that is because it was ridiculous that he fell asleep.
1: I mean, I've been there where I've been like, Are you fucking asleep, motherfucker?
0: You know, but uh, strangling someone? Not gonna strangle someone. Why would you strangle someone? Like, I didn't mean to laugh, it's not funny, but like, that's like ridiculous. Thankfully, being strangled quickly woke David up, and he was able to fight Catherine off. Although Catherine tried to seriously injure or kill David almost immediately after they got married. Yeah, she's a Black Widow. Their marriage would last a grueling 10 years. 10 years? Catherine? Oh, no. I gave it like two. Catherine continuously abusing him the entire time. That's fucked up. Which is really sad. And it's really more fucked up, and I'm glad that you mentioned that. It's because a lot of people probably turned a blind eye because she was a woman abusing her male partner. Yeah, of course. (sighs) Awful. Within the first year of their marriage, Catherine would become pregnant with their first child. During the entire pregnancy, Catherine was noted as being extremely verbally and physically abusive to David, but she would always just chalk it up to the hormones... I'm just hormonal because I'm pregnant. Well, let me beat the shit out of you. I'm hormonal and pregnant. Yeah. Wow. Like, just using it. This chick is a peach. Oh, yeah. On one particular occasion, a very pregnant Catherine would burn all of David's clothing in a fit of rage before hitting him across the back of the head with a frying pan, what the f- fracturing his skull in the process. Oh, my God, this poor guy. I know. David had been at a dark tournament earlier in the day, and he said that he would arrive home at a specific time or around a certain time. However, when he reached the finals and the tournament, he got further into the comp- competition than he originally thought he would, and yeah. it caused him to be home later than he expected. Right. So Catherine's response to this was to lash out, ultimately causing David to flee to a neighbor's house after he got hit with the frying pan. Oh my god. She was mad that he came home late, essentially you know
1: i i think about like his perspective and stuff and you know i recently had a friend that went through a breakup and decided to get sober and during the course of this relationship and when they split it was it was almost as if she was like it just made sense like i feel like if i continued to drink i would continue to numb the issues that i had in that relationship yeah And when she got sober, she gained kind of this clarity and was like, okay, like, I'm wondering if that's not what David's going through. Since he's already numbing himself through the use of alcohol because of his past trauma, is he also just like... Well, I was also drunk, and I also came out and made it reasonable in his head, you know, because he's numbing everything else. He might as well continue to numb the current situation, too.
0: Well, yeah, and it also explains why they stayed together for so long. And also, at this point, he's probably fucking terrified of her. Like, If he tries to leave, what is she going to do?
1: Right. It's easier to be with her and deal with the abuse than it would be to leave her, because she would never leave him alone.
0: Yeah, exactly. So after this incident, police went to charge Catherine for her assault, but when they went to speak with her, she, of course, put on her best behavior and charmed the officers. Behind closed doors, however, she was berating David and threatening him into dropping the charges against her. So, yeah, he feels like he doesn't have a fucking choice.
1: Yeah, and of course, you know, again, like we mentioned earlier, although we giggled, we giggled out of the scenario, but uh, it's still a very serious, uh, very serious thing that, you know, some men don't get taken seriously with stuff like this. Yeah, you of know, course. Because there's no way. I mean, and we've all watched Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, you know, yeah, kind of exactly. shit. And it's like, I mean, it. if the proof wasn't there, then wouldn't anybody really believe it? Exactly. Because it went on for so long and nothing seemed to have been done about it. It wasn't until the defamation trial where all of this evidence came out. And yeah. And like, shit, like, there was something going on there.
0: And then the longer it goes, unfortunately, you're going to have those people that are like, well, why didn't you say something sooner or right. whatever? You know, it's just, yeah. it's really, really a hard situation. For sure. Yeah. So, Catherine would not be charged for this crime. David would drop the charges. Catherine and David would welcome their first child, Melissa Ann Kellett, into the world in early 1976. Shortly after Catherine gave birth, in May of 1976, David would actually pick up and move his things and himself in, to Queensland and actually started dating another woman. Oh, wow. So, he's like, I'm fucking he was done with you. already done, yeah. The following day... Catherine was seen pushing her newborn baby in a stroller down the main street. She was violently throwing the stroller from side Mm. to side as they went, and neighbors, of course, took notice. Somehow, Catherine was found and taken to uh, St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth, and there she would be diagnosed with postnatal depression. Okay. Now, I wanted to make a note here, because I had to look it up. While a lot of people use postpartum and postnatal depression interchangeably, they're actually two different diagnoses. So, postpartum refers to issues pertaining to the mother, and postnatal refers to issues concerning the baby. Okay. So, postpartum would be if they were trying to harm themselves. Of course, postnatal is with the baby. Catherine would spend several weeks recovering, with David being gone in Queensland the whole time. Mm-hmm. Although doctors prescribed Catherine with postnatal depression, there was no ongoing treatment that she would be receiving for the following weeks. She was just, like, there. Just being watched and monitored, was being guess. Yeah. Like, we're going to hold on to your baby. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> so after a couple weeks went by, Catherine still had not heard from David, and she began lashing out yet again. This time, by placing a two-month-old Melissa on a railroad track shortly before the train was due. What happened to the baby? So after placing Melissa on the tracks, Catherine actually left her there. and just she left. left? She just left. And she went to steal an axe... Using it to threaten, like, several people in town like she was going to kill them. Like, she's, like, wielding an axe, like, threatening so to kill she people. walked the baby to the
1: railroad tracks, left the baby, then found an axe, and then went back into town-ish or something? Yeah, it seems like it was and at a th- railway,
0: sta- railway station. Like, you know what I mean? Like, kind of, like she, a subway station. Was she threatening people with the
1: axe because they were trying to help the baby? No, it was, it was random was, oh, people. okay. Just, so yeah. they had no
0: idea there were these. There mm-hmm. was a baby. No idea there was a baby. Fuck. During this axe rampage, Catherine was not at all worried about Melissa, who remained on the tracks. Fortunately, a man known around the same area by the name of Old Ted was actually foraging near the railway line when he spotted the infant on the tracks and was able to rescue her from certain death just minutes before the train arrived. Oh my gosh. Old Ted. Old Ted. Good job, Ted. Good old Ted. (laughs) Good old Ted. Ted from the West. (laughs) (laughs) Ted from the East, I guess. Teddy, Teddy. (laughs) Another fortunate event was that Catherine did not injure anybody with her axe threats, and she was um, ultimately arrested shortly after Melissa was found. So she didn't receive any treatment in the hospital. Now she's being arrested. Do you think she's going to get any treatment in there? So, we'll see. <laughs> so once again, Catherine was taken to St. Elmo Hospital to be evaluated, but she was able to leave on her own accord the following day when she had, quote, recovered from her mental breakdown. She was like, I'm recovered. She but- signed herself out of the hospital. How can you they let her leave (laughs) that's how
1: can you have someone be like forcefully come in for evaluation or whatever need a hospital stay a psychiatric stay and then they can sign themselves out that's ridiculous ridiculous
0: within but again laws are different we have a 72-hour hold here and they might not you Mm -hmm. know or not at this time maybe yeah so a few days after signing herself out of the hospital Catherine had held one of her neighbors at knife point point demanding that she drive her to Queensland so that she could find David. She's like, drive me to Queensland. I guess her neighbor was like in the car, like leaving. She's like, drive me to Queensland. I need to go find David. Where's the baby in protective custody? <clears throat> she, it didn't really say what happened to Melissa at this point. I think she might still be with Catherine. Well, I hope honestly. she's in protective not custody. Like, she's right? not with her like right at this point, but she's, I don't know where she is. It yeah. doesn't really say. Like I said, I hope that she's in protective custody or with a relative or something. Yeah, Yeah. Probably with a relative, honestly. So the woman neighbor refused to drive her at first, and in response, Catherine actually, like, lunged forward and cut her in the face with the knife. So the woman, not wanting to anger Catherine further, agreed to drive her anywhere in order to remain unharmed. Yeah. Catherine then got into the car with the woman and her young son, and the three began driving. Oh, hell no. Wild yeah. horses can drive me away. Hell no. <laughs> no. I'd be snatching my baby up and running. <laughs> Shortly into the car ride, the car would stop at a service station for an, at the time, unknown reason, where the woman was able to escape and phone police. However, this escape was brief, and by the time police arrived, Catherine had somehow managed to subdue the young boy, and she was actually holding him hostage. What? Yeah. So I guess the woman maybe escaped, and Catherine grabbed the child, and the woman was like, I'm not running away from my
1: child. Hell no. I'd, I'd fucking kill someone.
0: Somehow, police decided to use <laughs> brooms to disarm Catherine. I don't know. Like, maybe like hit her with a stick. <laughs> maybe they, I don't know. But at this point, they disarmed her. They arrested her, and they admitted her against her will to the Morissette psychiatric hospital. Okay, she was clearly going through some sort I would of psychosis. Just
1: fucking whack the back of her fucking head with a yeah.
0: fucking broom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> While at the hospital, Catherine opened up to nurses and told them that she had intended to kill the mechanic at the service station because he was the one who had repaired David's car, giving way for him to flee to Queensland. She's like, it's your fault. He's gone because you fixed his car. That's a stretch. That's a stretch. (laughs) That's a stretch. Did you you take a stretch before you took that leap? (laughs) That's a stretch. That's a stretch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She then said that after she killed the mechanic, her plan was to track down David and his mother in Queensland and kill them both. Like, what? When police informed David about this incident and confession, he left his girlfriend, and him and his mother would return back to Aberdeen to support Catherine during this hard time. You've gotta be fucking kidding me. No. I was literally after this, he
1: filed a restraining order after this he moved even further away after this he
0: i want to give david the benefit of the doubt and assume that the only reason he returned is for the safety of his child and his mother and his mother like i don't i don't see him coming back to help Catherine. yeah or maybe he felt guilty and he thought that he caused this whole thing to happen this psychotic break yeah and he felt like he had to come back and stay with i'm hoping it's not clearly she loves me
1: Yeah. She's willing to kill the fucking mechanic that fixed my car.
0: And then she was going to kill me, but she loved me. So after several weeks of being at this psychiatric unit, Catherine would be released on August 9th, 1976, into the care of David and his mother. And the three, along with Melissa, would move to Woodridge, a suburb of uh, Brisbane. Okay. So now they're all four in the same house. (laughs) I I mean, I guess
1: it also makes sense because he would just want to keep a fucking eye on her, like you said. Yeah. I mean, at least... There's no surprises.
0: Yeah, it's true. In Brisbane, Catherine would obtain a job at the Denmore Meat Works in nearby Ipswich. More meat? Yeah. Catherine would maintain this job and her relationship with David for another few years. So they got back together. Mm -hmm. And the two would welcome a second child on March 6th, 1980, Natasha Marie Kellett. I just feel like
1: if she had postnatal depression, and I'm not saying that you can't work through that, and then you, you know, you and a doctor can't look ahead towards... Yeah. Not that you can't have any more children, but also, like, she's not receiving any help. Of course not. And they choose to have another child, and I doubt they approach a doctor and say, we want to have another child together because we're so very happy together that we want to bring another child in this world, but, but we're I'm, concerned these, about are what <laughs> these are my concerns. These are my concerns. You know, which you can do with a doctor, you know? Yeah. You can absolutely talk to a doctor about your postnatal or your postpartum depression, And still have children and be successful with that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But she's clearly not receiving the help that she needs. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that's terrifying. The relationship would, of course, continue to be tumultuous. But still, the two remained married and living together for many years after this. So four years later, in 1984, Catherine would just grow tired of David and her simple little life. And she decided to leave him what
1: she decided to leave him she's
0: like this isn't good enough for me anymore
1: <laughs> yeah it's not and en- it's not enticing enough yeah if you constantly ran away from me and there was constant drama i would love that in a relationship yeah but you're boring you're boring, <laughs> you're, boring. <laughs> you're boring david and you're nice <laughs> Your full <laughs> on commitment to this marriage and your children is just
0: too boring yeah. and, and I you can't stopped, stopped fighting and I, I, can't <laughs> <with it. just laughs> I can't deal with it i can't deal with it So she actually first moved back in with her parents in Aberdeen, but then shortly after moved to a rented house near Musselbrook. On her own, once again, Catherine would return to work at the Abattoir, the original slaughterhouse that she worked at as a teen. A year into working back at her old stomping grounds, Catherine would suffer a serious back injury, causing her to become unable to work and forced to go into, like, workers' comp kind of situation. She would apply for disability and a rent accommodation, and she would receive a housing commission for a house in Aberdeen so she moved back to Aberdeen.
1: Do you think that she was prescribed medication and stuff too that was maybe controlled?
0: Um I'm not sure actually. I didn't say mm. that it didn't say that that had really anything to do with okay. anything. Okay. Okay. But I'm sure there's always yeah. some sort of pain meds. In 1986, Catherine would meet 38-year-old minor David Saunders. M I N E R. Yes. Okay. <laughs> 38-year-old, 18-year-old. <laughs> 13-year-old, so, 28-year-old. Yeah. Uh, so she's 31 at this point. He's 38. Not that that matters, but just to give you a timeline. Sure. The two would quickly <gasps> move in together. Oh, okay. <laughs> the exact reaction I wanted. <laughs> I literally put dots after quickly.
1: Move in together. <laughs> oh that was great.
0: That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Do it quickly. Move it together. David would move in with Catherine and her two daughters, who she somehow has custody of. What? Yes. She so has, she custody has the- Melissa $2, and Natasha. $2? So when she left, she took the kids. Yes. What? Although David would move in with the girls in Aberdeen, he would also keep his own apartment in Scone 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 maybe scone scone Scon. he lives in a scone yeah i just like the way british
1: people say oh, scones
0: not long after david moving in Catherine would pick back up on her jealous tendencies and she would frequently throw david out after picking fights with him about what he was doing when she wasn't around i'm sorry when he wasn't around I mean, david so. i'm sorry it's another david so she, the first gentleman was david now she's dating a new guy named david
1: I hear that. Okay.
0: okay. So 38-year-old minor David. Yes. <laughs> okay, so minor David. Yes. Okay. And it's, this is going to come back around later, later, which is weird. Okay. So she would frequently pick fights with him, and she would get mad at him because she didn't know what, what he was doing when he wasn't at the house. Okay. Because he had his own apartment, right? She's like, what sure. the fuck are you doing when you're not over here? So David quickly became tired of this behavior, and he would move his stuff back into his apartment. Fuck it. I'm just going to yeah. go to my apartment. Fuck yeah. Catherine would ultimately follow David to his apartment and beg for him to come back and be with her. Minor You just David. threw him out. This, minor- is, this is current David. The other David is not in the picture anymore. Completely gone. The dad of the kids. Right. This is new David. This is minor David. Yes. Yes. <laughs> David would reluctantly agree to move back into the home with Catherine and her daughters. The two would remain together for another year until one of their fights became more than just a screaming match. In May of 1987, Catherine was on one of her usual rampages, threatening David about what would happen if he ever cheated on her. Catherine did the unthinkable. Wait, she
1: started an argument about what it would be like if he cheated on her? Yes. That is some, that's some shit, man.
0: Catherine grabbed David's new two-month-old dingo puppy and (gasps) slit the dog's throat, killing it instantly. Her reason for doing this was to show David what would happen to him if he ever cheated on her. She killed his dog, a puppy. A puppy, and he didn't even fucking do anything. She started an argument from a literally nothing, from her own insecurities, oh, and killed man. his dog. Well, I oh, like makes man. my stomach hurt. That poor nope. baby. She then hit David in the head with a frying pan. Oh, that's her go-to. An act that she had committed on her previous husband, David, knocking him unconscious. She's like Rapunzel. That's (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's
1: terrible. I have a person in my closet!
0: (laughs) Seriously, though.
1: Whether it's your favorite browser or by app, listening to audiobooks with Audiobooks Now makes it even easier and more affordable to enjoy your favorite books. Audiobooks Now offers up their club price plan, which includes 50% off your first purchase each month and additional offers after your first purchase. Click the link in the show notes below to receive two months free and just $4.99 for each additional month. Get audiobooks you love for less with Audiobooks Now. Start your free trial today.
0: Despite this incredibly violent encounter, David would continue to stay and live with Catherine. This We're, is a theme now. She's, like... Is he also
1: a heavy drinker? I'm
0: actually really not say. sure. No, not I didn't sure. really say.
1: Not sure.
0: So, again, just to be clear for everyone, this second... This is her second boyfriend named David. Yes. <laughs> two guys it's named David. Two, this two is Davids. This David. is minor David. Yes. The following year, in June of 1988, Catherine and David would welcome their first child, Sarah Saunders. But she already has her two daughters with her, right? Yes. So now, now they this have is three now. girls. Okay. Okay. The birth of their first child prompted David to put a deposit on a bigger house for the five of them, which Catherine would eventually pay off with her workers' comp. Once moved into the home, it was time to decorate. Catherine filled the walls with animal skulls and horns and layered the floors with animal skins and, like, rusty animal traps.
1: Could Like, you imagine bear the... traps,
0: mouse traps. Could you imagine the smell in that place? Oh, it's probably not even, like, taxidermy. It's probably just, like, It's not. One. It's just stuff she finds at work. Yeah. Also around the home were dozens of leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. <laughs> it's like children of the corn. Yeah. It's like very odd. The home was oh noted God. as having like no space left uncovered with like various items. So like she filled the fucking house with shit.
1: I don't, uh, yeah. No. I think wall decor is something where like I don't, like in one of my last apartments, I think I maybe had like, I had a painting that my son did for me for Mother's Day I think I had, I have this one. Uh, it's not even hanging up now. That's how much like I don't yeah. care about wall decor. Uh, Same. That I, yeah. That I wanted a silent auction for uh, transient individuals, and then, uh, I, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I'm, wall decor is not my forte. I don't like a lot of. Well, by my computer space, I do have a lot of stuff, but it's usually drawings from my son or my niece. Yeah. Things like that, because it's just a very busy area in general. But in my room, I have, like, a tapestry, I have a dream catcher, and I have a glass silver dollar wind chime that Justin bought me for my birthday before I had my son. That's pretty much it. Oh, and some
0: dried roses. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm never... I'm, mine are just so random. I have, like, a calendar. I have, like, two collage picture things. Yeah. Two caricatures of me and Casey. Yeah. And then those, like, live, laugh, love bullshit things that Cameron had. <laughs> Live, laugh, love. No, please. it's just, like, dance as if no one's watching and sing as if no one can hear. Right, but they that, were Cameron's. Cool. Yeah, yeah, they were. And there's a third one that has since gone missing or broke or something. That was at her apartment. I think uh, her daughter was, like, one or two. Yeah. She was a little, little. <laughs> All right, back to the story. So... While living in the home together, this beautifully decorated home, Catherine and David got into another dangerous argument. This time, Catherine would hit David in the face with an iron and then proceed to stab him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. Holy shit. Like, ow. Like, ow, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck? After being stabbed, David would leave the home in a hurry, leaving his belongings, including his daughter, Sarah, behind. David would ultimately survive the attack, and he would return to his home in Scon, but would return shortly in order to check on Sarah. I guess he was afraid that Catherine would harm her.
1: Harm her, yeah.
0: I mean, he should take the children. Yes. (laughs) When he arrived back at home, he found all of his clothing cut up into pieces, a rampage that Catherine had seemingly gone on when he left the first time. Yeah. After checking on his daughter's well-being, David would take a long service leave from work and go into hiding from Catherine. He's like, fuck this.
1: But what about the kids, though? Why isn't anybody doing anything I know, it's to the terrible. kids? How many times have the cops been called? I think that... Because it doesn't
0: seem like any no, of the they cops have been called. It, I don't want to... Again, I don't want to make excuses, but it kind of seems like... I mean, he went back to check on the kids. He probably thought, like, okay, she's not going to harm the kids because if she was going to, she would have already. Yeah. I'm going to go, Yeah, you know? And who, who knows what she would have done had he tried to take... One of her daughters. Right. And it's his daughters too, but still, you know. So after David went into hiding, Catherine, repeating her past, would run around town asking anyone if they knew where he went, but no one would admit to knowing where he was. Good. Yeah. I guess they learned their fucking lesson (laughs) the first time. (laughs) First, first, David. Several months went by and David would finally return again to check on Sarah. When he arrived, he found out a baffling detail about Catherine's current life. While he was in hiding, Catherine had taken it upon herself to go to the police station and file a report against David, stating that she was afraid of him. She tried to get a restraining order? The police had no choice but to believe her, since David wasn't there to defend himself. Oh, that's bullshit. And they issued her with an apprehended violence order against him.
1: I watched it recently. I don't know if you've heard about this Vanderpump Rules scandal, because everybody's Mm -hmm. talking about the Vanderpump Rules scandal right now. The scandal. And, um... The one thing that really pissed me off, and it was after listening to Sheena's Shenanigans podcast, and I think Lala was on there, and I think Kristen was on there, and not that anybody knows what I'm talking about, but some people know. Oh, some
0: people definitely know what you're talking about. Some people definitely know what I'm I
1: talking about. I don't, but some people do. And I listened to... It was the the day... It had to have been the... I rem, I'm such a date person. It was the 19th of March, and that's when they were filming... Um, or they were supposed to be filming the reunion... But there were still charges pending. So apparently Rachel, Raquel, claimed that Sheena had hit her. And had she had like a cut on her eye or something, and a black eye. Anyway, she files this restraining order against this co-star. And uh, the charges were still pending by the time they were doing the reunion. Uh, anyways, Sheena and her husband Brock go to this morning meeting... You know, it's like at 7 or 8 o'clock, they have to drive like an hour and a half to get to the courthouse. They had to have somebody watch their daughter, all this stuff. Get out of the car, TMZ is there, like all of these paparazzi, like da 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 She goes in, and there was a—her lawyer had spoken to Rachel's lawyer, and Rachel apparently wasn't going to show. Like, she's like, I'm just going to dismiss it, I'm not even going to show. Mm-hmm. Well, Sheena's lawyer was like, fuck that, you're still going, because if you don't show up and she does decide to show up, you can't defend yourself, right? Yeah, like exactly. you Yeah, exactly. So Sheena and Brock show up. They dismiss the case. Rachel didn't show up. But Sheena was like, she's like, not only is it a fucking waste of time, there are very real people that need access to this. Very real people that are in real danger. Yeah. And I took someone's spot that day that needed it. Of course. In that, in that 24 hours, this person's case was pushed on to tomorrow, but they're defending their lives against someone, their yeah. children's lives against someone. What a fucking waste of time. Seriously, and I've, how disrespectful. And I've heard that a few times about people doing, like, you know, um, protection orders and things like that that don't need them. And so, again, in this yeah. case, this homegirl over here... Wasting people's time.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So I said it was called an apprehended violence order or an AVO. Again, very similar to a restraining order. But in some cases, on top of being, like, a certain radius away from the holder, an AVO can also contain behaviors that the perpetrator can't engage in. So, like, calling, harassing, trying to contact the victim. Like, it's more than just stay away from me. Stay away, yeah. Yeah. So just to be clear. So due to this AVO, David was forced to leave the girls' lives for good. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. That's awful. (sighs) Catherine would continue to live alone with the three girls for another few years, and in 1990, she would reconnect with an old co-worker from the slaughterhouse, 43-year-old John Chillingworth. Okay, not a David. Okay. Not a David. The two would quickly have a child. What? <laughs> She's throwing curveballs. <laughs> um, they would welcome their boy, Eric Chillingworth, in the March of... In the March Oh, 1990. With. Sorry, I just yeah, had to say Chillingworth. And the two would continue to date for three more years. What happened? So she has her daughters. She has all three of the daughters. <laughs> and now they have and a, a the son. And now the son. Okay. No incidents of violence were reported in their relationship, but it's hard to say that nothing happened during, the, during those three years because, of course, Catherine has a track record, right? Mm-hmm. Three years into their relationship, Catherine would leave John for another man that she was in an ongoing affair with. Another John no John price so she's got a david a david
1: a john and a john yes oh my gosh
0: she does not have to remember names i know she can shout out whatever she wants so this is her <laughs> fourth relationship second john mm-hmm. john pricey price was born on april 4th 1955 as the oldest of six children his nickname was pricey oh i see okay i was <laughs> like his, middle, his name. <laughs> middle name was
1: pricey and his last name was price no. how inventive
0: John attended school until the age of 14, and when he dropped out, he could barely read or write, similarly to Catherine's upbringing and education. Yeah. Although he had minimum education, John was known to be a very hard worker, and he had a job in heavy machinery, trucking, and mining. Hmm. Another minor John. Another minor John. Yeah, minor. (laughs) Minor David and minor John. John was married prior to meeting Catherine, and he had a son and two daughters with his previous wife, Colleen. After 15 years of marriage, the two would split up, but would continue to maintain a good relationship. John and Catherine met at a local pub at the end of the 80s, and would start their affair. Okay. Similarly to her other previous relationships, this one would be very volatile, and Catherine would frequently frequently express paranoia about John cheating on her. Even though she was cheating on John with With John. John. Yes.
1: Well, okay, well, did it... uh... I find that really interesting that she's so insecure about cheating yeah. when it's not necessarily it was modeled. Like, it wasn't necessarily modeled when she was growing it's up. true. I mean, I don't know. Clearly, like, her parents had a very tumultuous relationship, but yeah, that's she's very She's so gung-ho
0: about don't cheat on me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where it came where from. Where the insecurity
1: comes from, right?
0: Due to these accusations, the two would split up and reconcile many times throughout their affair before mm. it was public. Yeah.
1: Do you think it's more of a maintaining... I I take back what I said. It's probably about control just in general.
0: That's true, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she wants to be with someone all the time and she doesn't want someone to leave She doesn't want... Until it's her choice. Yeah,
1: exactly. Until it's her choice to leave the relationship and she doesn't want her significant other influenced by anybody, especially another woman. Well, that's
0: a narcissistic tendency as well. Mm -hmm. John was known as a, quote, terrific bloke. Aww, I love that. Who was respect. liked by everyone that knew him, and he was also well aware of Catherine's violent past before they began their relationship. So it's kind of odd to people that he would go into a relationship with her. Yeah,
1: but some... I mean, I definitely know some people that date and they're significant, and they're, it totally makes sense to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, you can handle her, absolutely. Yeah, or it's like, or I vice fix versa. them, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's, you know, oh, well, they really balance each other out because yeah. they know what they're getting into. True. And,
0: yeah. After Catherine ended her relationship with John Chillingworth for good... Her and John Price would make their relationship public. Okay. While his two year old daughter stayed with her mother, John would bring his two other children to live with them. Okay. Catherine and her children would move in with John in 1995. And she's got four now? So it's her four children and his, his two children. Two, okay. But honestly, the kids kind of get like pushed around in this whole story. <laughs> yeah, so I just know. Don't the... focus too much on how many kids are in that. We need to do a
1: case on those kids. I know. Where right? are they? Are they
0: safe? <laughs> his children were noted as really liking Catherine. John was making more than enough money to support the family, and besides the occasional violent argument, the household kind of seemed cohesive. like okay. everyone was kind of getting along. So he
1: probably knew how to read her pretty well.
0: Yeah. According to John, at first, quote, "Life was a bunch of roses." Which hmm. is really sad. About five years into their relationship in 1998, Catherine and John got into a blowout fight about John's refusal to marry Catherine. So she had said, like, we should get married. He was like, I don't think that's a great idea. And she freaked out. Yeah. Which is like, why not? Are you cheating on me? Are you having an affair? Exactly. And you know who accuses people of cheating multiple times? Our cheaters. Our cheaters. Yeah. <laughs> In response to this, Catherine wanted to get revenge. She knew that John had taken numerous things from his job over the years And although the items were mostly expired medical kits that he had taken from the dump, Catherine knew that he was most likely not allowed to have taken them. She began videotaping all of the items inside the home, and she would send the videos to John's boss to get back at him for refusing her proposal to marry her. But that's
1: just all it...
0: But... You're...
1: You have kids to feed. Yeah.
0: You have to feed yourself. And he's making the money. She's on disability.
1: Well, yeah. But still, like... You know? No,
0: he's clearly the breadwinner is my point. Yeah, the bread, like,
1: bre- yeah, like, come on. You're only fucking over literally everyone else. Yeah, I
0: thought
1: you were going to say she called the cops
0: or something. You know? No. After his boss discovered the videos, John was fired from his job after 17 years.
1: 17 years?
0: That's fucking
1: heartbreaking. I know. Like, this poor fucking guy. All because she just fucking pointed it out clearly nobody was missing this shit no one right? fucking cared no yeah. one cared but the fact
0: that she made a stink about it yeah then all of a sudden they had to do something about it the oh. same day he was fired john went home and proceeded to kick Catherine and her children out of his house he's like you know what get the fuck out <laughs> get the fuck out of here i'd be pissed Catherine would return home and the small town quickly heard the news of what she had done to get her now ex-boyfriend fired god A few months went by, and the two would ultimately reconnect and begin dating again. This time, however, John would not allow Catherine to move back in with him, and the two would remain in their separate homes.
1: But she can't be okay with that either, though.
0: Like she's probably like
1: definitely one of those people that's like, "Well, if I just like start dating him again, then eventually we're gonna move in together, and eventually we're gonna get married." Yeah, and I'll just
0: leave a little bit of things every time I go, so that I can just like slowly move in. Yeah, Yeah, she like whittles her way in there. Yeah. It's no surprise that during this time, the two would continue fighting ruthlessly, and it got to the point that John was beginning to lose friends, because they didn't want to be around him if Catherine was in his life. That's so rough. I know. In February of the year 2000, there were a series of assaults on John at the hands of Catherine. In one instance, Catherine was noted as stabbing John in the chest, (gasps) an attack that he would survive. John was completely fed up at this point, and he banned Catherine from going to his home at all How
1: is this? chick not been fucking charged with something She's stabbed people she's she's hit people to the point of unconsciousness yeah she's like abandoning children left and right yeah she's probably you know i mean at least child neglect um you know
0: putting what is it uh child endangerment probably it it just kind of seems like she has this twisted hold on people that they're too afraid to call the cops well and again and we talked about the fact that she is a female and they are males. And it's like
1: the amount of pressure they might feel to be like, well, I can't, you know, do anything about this because then I just look like a weak person. Yeah. And I just, I, that's just incredible to me. And the, and not only that, it's completely compounded by the fact that she has had absolutely no, no accountability. (laughs) Well, no help of course, but she has not had a consequence yet ever at all
0: at all. And when Her mom said, deal with it. That's what you're going to have to do. She said, absolutely not. And she did the complete opposite. And she's like, I'm going to make the decisions. I'm going to make the
1: decisions. Yeah. I'm not going to just be this, you know, perceived weak person. So she has always, she's just always had her dukes up, like, her whole life.
0: Exactly. On February 29th, 2000, John stopped by the Scones Magistrate Court on his way to work and took out a restraining order on Catherine. Good. In an attempt to keep not only himself, but his children safe. Good. Good. That afternoon, John was noted as telling co-workers about the restraining order, and he also told them that if he did not return to work the following day, it would be because Catherine had killed him. Tell me he goes to work the next day. So he pretty much was saying, once she finds out about this restraining order, like, she's she's going to flip out. Yeah. John's co-workers urged him not to return home, but he insisted that he needed to go back, as he was afraid that Catherine would try to harm his children if he didn't. But once you put the restraining, like, once you file it, aren't you not supposed to be around that person? Well, until... no, but she doesn't know about it. I'm sure he'd rather tell her in person instead of letting her get to his house before he can to the kids.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, I just feel like once you once you file that, I don't know. I don't know how the laws work then and now and yeah, versus uh, AUS versus here. But, yeah, I would think that I'm pretty sure once you file nowadays, there's this period where it's as almost as if it's in place it's like a temporary restraining order, and then you file for it or dismiss it
0: yeah his boss had even offered for john to stay the night at his home although he refused so he's like you can come sleep with me like don't go home and john was like no i have to john returned home that night and was surprised to find katherine already there but no children in sight Fearing the worst, he asked Catherine where his children were, and she stated that she had sent them for a sleepover at a friend's house. Was that true? Yes, it was true. Okay. Earlier in the day, Catherine had gone out to buy some brand new black lingerie and also made videotapes of all of her children. The reasoning for this was unknown at the time, but it was noted. So, what? it'll make sense in a minute. Okay. She had made, like, various videotapes of her children- essentially for, like, memories, if you will. John explained that since the children were out, he was going to go hang out at one of his neighbors' house for a few hours, and Catherine said, okay, and took off. I guess maybe was, he thought she was going home. She she was just chill with it? She was cool with it. She was like, yeah, okay, like, go do your thing, like, I'll leave, pretty much. So I don't know if she went to run some errands or maybe just go home for a bit or whatever, but I don't think he expected her to return that night. Mm-hmm. Let's not say that. John returned home around 11 p.m. and shortly went to bed. Catherine would return to the home later that night, unexpected. She got into the home while John was asleep. She probably had a key. (laughs) Mm. And she sat on the couch and watched TV for a few minutes before going to take a shower. After showering, she snuck into John's bedroom and woke him up to have sex. Was she wearing the black lingerie? Probably so. (laughs) The two would engage in sex. John had sex with her. What? And he would fall asleep afterwards. Fall back asleep. Okay. Does she know about the restraining order yet? I don't think so.
1: Okay. This is all too fucking creepy. I'm sorry. I know. Just the fact that the kids are not even in the fucking house. I would be worried. I would too. I think that would be like a huge red flag.
0: The following day, a neighbor noticed that John's car was still in the driveway well after the time that he was supposed to have left for work. Mm. When he did not arrive at work, John's boss immediately got a bad feeling. Yeah, where's the poop? And sent one of his employees to John's home to check on him. Once the employee arrived, the neighbor came outside and met up with him, and they both went to the house to check on John. The two knocked with no answer, and they even knocked on John's bedroom window in order to try to, like, wake him up, but no answer. Yeah. The two went back to the front door to try again, and this time they actually noticed blood on the door and immediately called police. Yeah. Police arrived and were able to enter the home through the back door after breaking through it. Upon entering the home, police found Catherine comatose on the bed from consuming a large number of pills. (gasps) They also found what was later determined to be John's body, but not the way you'd think. Later determined? The fuck does that mean? The events that followed Catherine and John having sex are as follows. After John fell asleep, after sex, Catherine began stabbing him with a butcher knife. John awoke in a panic and tried to turn the bedroom light on, and then attempted to escape while Catherine chased him throughout the home. Jesus. John managed to open the front door and get outside, but he either stumbled back due to blood loss, or he was pulled back into the (sighs) hallway, where he would ultimately die after receiving at least 37 stab wounds to the front and back of his body, many piercing his vital organs.
1: Oh my god,
0: that's fucking terrifying. That's why the blood was at the front door. After Catherine was sure that John was dead, she drove to Aberdeen and withdrew 1,000 Australian dollars, about 700 US dollars, from John's bank account via an ATM. I didn't really do the conversion rate because it was only like an extra thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. it like in the early <laughs> 2000s. <laughs> right. She then returned to the home. This is where it gets very ugly. Several hours after John had died, Catherine skinned his entire body and hung the skin from a meat hook. She then decapitated John and cooked parts of his body, serving the meat with multiple veggies, including pumpkin, cabbage, yellow squash, beetroot, and a baked potato, along with gravy. She ate it. This was served on two separate plates at the dinner table, along with name tags next to each plate containing each of John's children's names. That is some fucking shit. She was indeed preparing to serve John's body parts to his children. But this is, okay, but this is, but this is like,
1: sorry, <laughs> this is within, I'm short circuiting. So this is within, I mean, this is within 24 hours, right? F- essentially. Cause they, it's yes. that morning. So she, she had already set the dinner table.
0: Yeah. I'll get into it in a second. You'll, you'll, exp- I get all the details. Don't worry. Okay. Police also found a third meal that had seemingly been thrown out into the backyard. The thought behind this was that Catherine was planning on eating a plate herself, but could not bring herself to do so. So she just threw it.
1: Yeah, she's going to give it to everybody else.
0: Price's decapitated head was found in a pot with vegetables as well. When police arrived, the pot was still warm. The temperature actually being around 45 degrees Celsius, so it's about 115 degrees Fahrenheit Mm -hmm. for people that aren't on the metric system. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This indicated that the cooking had taken place in the early morning. Sometime later, Catherine had arranged what was left of John's body with his left arm draped over an empty soft drink bottle and his legs crossed. He was on the floor, but his legs were crossed and his arm was like up for Mm -hmm. some reason. Lastly, Catherine had left a handwritten note on top of a photograph of John. The note was bloodstained and covered in small pieces of flesh. It stated, quote, there's typos just to warn everyone. Okay. Quote, time got you back, Jonathan, for wrapping my doubter. They think it meant raping my daughter. Quote, you to Beck for Ross for little John. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. Beck is noted as being John's daughter, and John was his son. So, you to Beck for Ross for little John. I think she was trying to say, like, these plates are for them, maybe. And I don't know what the whole dick thing is about, but it was know. very, very strange. It sounds note. like, I don't know. Say it again. It sounded like, sorry, sorry, sorry. You to Beck for Ross for little John. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. Like it, it doesn't like make any fucking bla-
1: sense. Like she's blaming like this is for Beck, like meaning your daughter. Like this is all for her, because of what happened to Ross, I guess, and little John.
0: I don't know. It's weird. So, kind of hard to understand. The, accu- the accusations in the note about Catherine's daughter potentially being sexually assaulted were found to be false. So, okay. Don didn't fucking do anything. Yeah, she just did this to him. <sighs> Everyone take a deep breath. That's a lot. <laughs> I know. There's another
1: case where that there's that body chest cam of that officer walking through that house where that guy had murdered his parents uh-huh. and there was like a foot, like just a foot somewhere like upstairs, uh-huh. but that he had, he was, they didn't know they were going in for a welfare check and they didn't know. But when the officer's walking in, they're clearing the house. There's a pot on the stove and it contains his mother's head uh-huh. and the officers don't know yeah. the entire time they're in the crime it's scene. It's like
0: uh, Zach Bowen.
1: Yeah, they didn't know until they were literally taking inventory of the house, like, two hours later. Oh, God. And they had walked past it
0: several times and didn't even know. Isn't that (sighs) fucking terrifying? Yeah. Speaking of police, it's interesting that you brought that up. Sergeant Robert Wells was one of the men that walked into the home that morning, and what he saw has since caused him to become diagnosed with severe PTSD. He said about that day, quote, We didn't get much information about what was going on at the house, just that we had to get there quick. I was actually stationed at another police station about 40 minutes away. By the time I got to the scene, Catherine was leaving in an ambulance. She had taken some pills, not enough to kill her, but they made her sleepy. I walked inside and saw the human skin pelt hanging up, completely intact in one piece. Whoa. John Price's decapitated and skinned body was lying on the floor in the lounge room. We found his head. It had been boiled and cooked in a pot on the stove. There were a number of slices of rump taken off his human rump, baked in the oven with some vegetables, and put on plates, with the names of two of his children on them. End quote. Sergeant Wells also recalled later that there was a moment that he looked at Catherine's face and instantly knew everything she was saying was a lie. He said about this, quote, The fact that Catherine Knight had been violent towards the men she had been in relationships with over the years, they were all quite smaller than her. It is very unusual for a woman to do this. In all my years on the force, I've never once been called to a scene where a woman was violently beating up on a man. Most of the time, from my experience, it is men being violent towards their female partners. Catherine Knight was a very unique case. End quote. It's interesting that he said that all of the men were smaller than her, too. Yeah. remember the... Elementary thing. That's
1: what I was thinking of. That yes,
0: dear. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, police obviously woke Catherine up once they entered the home, and she immediately claimed that she had no recollection of the night before. Oh, I have no idea what no, I wait, did.
1: What happened? <laughs> I've just been sleeping. Yeah, I just woke up here.
0: Police obviously immediately arrested Catherine, whose initial offer was to plead guilty to manslaughter. This was clearly rejected. Yeah. She was arraigned on March 2nd, 2001, on the charge of murdering John Price, in which she had entered a plea of not guilty. Like, what the fuck do you think we're going to get? are going to be like, oh yeah, you're not guilty. Her trial was initially set for July 23rd, but was pushed back due to her attorney becoming sick. Hmm. The trial was then moved to October 15th, 2001. During the trial, Justice Barry O'Keefe offered the 60 people on the jury to be excused during the showing of the graphic photos from the crime scene, to oh. which five accepted.
1: I was going to say, no, like, you're, that's your job. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, well, it's traumatizing, yeah. but fuck. Get this.
0: So five people accepted. When the witness list was read out to the jury, several more dropped out for unknown reasons. I'm not sure if it's like, God, that's a lot of witnesses. I don't want to sit through this or whatever. After this, the jury was impaneled. So I wanted to explain what this means because I had to look it up. Yeah. And paneling a jury means, like, selecting a set number of people that will not be allowed to leave, just like what you said, Mm -hmm. and they are required to stay and make a decision and see all the evidence, so... I guess in Australia, it's a little bit different. They have, like, a bunch of people come in, and they kind of, like, weed people out during the trial trial. instead of doing it beforehand.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because we do... They do the paneling all before.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I just think it's interesting to note, because I was researching it. Uh, In Australia, they have jury duty similarly to us. However, they get paid $40 for (gasps) each day for the first six days, and then $80 every day thereafter if the trial lasts longer. In Texas, you can get paid no less than $6 a day and no more than $50 a day for jury duty. Although there's still potential for payment... The commissioner's court of a county may choose to reduce or eliminate the daily compensation. Oh my God! If yeah. you only attended for one day, Classic. so literally you can go for an entire day, miss work, and not yeah. make any money, which I is fucking, fucking, hate fucking that. stupid. I think we get like three bucks, and it's like so that's cute than fucking gas <laughs> yeah. to get all the way downtown. <laughs> and similarly to the U.S., uh, Australian jury duty is required. Mm-hmm. If you get called, you get you have to go. Sure, you never catch me, Kappa. I know, right? <laughs> I haven't ever gone, but I've. Only ever been called when I was in school, so I had, like, a school excuse. Oh, yeah. Knock oh, on
1: what? <laughs> <laughs> They're coming for you. Yeah.
0: K- Casey was like, I just didn't fucking show up. I was like, oh, my
1: God. Yeah, Cameron was the one that was like, I didn't show up to my last one. I haven't heard shit. And I was like, last time I got called was, like, eight, nine years ago. <laughs>
0: Did I tell <laughs> you? I've been fine. <laughs> I'm going to out my boyfriend right now. Did I tell you <laughs> about... Casey got called for jury duty in 2020, and it was via Zoom when they were doing the screening, and he fucking turned his mic on and <laughs> farted <laughs> and they told him to go. <laughs> <laughs> they told me, <him> to... <laughs> hold you
1: in contempt of court. <laughs> you know what, sir? You're free to go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. That's all we require.
0: That's so bad, That's like, and hilarious. you won't be selected
1: for the next round. Yeah. Thank you oh, much. this guy farts. We cannot have him on here.
0: <laughs> oh Lord, I don't even think he had his camera on. I just think he had his mic on. <laughs> he just, <farted>. <laughs> just... <laughs> love you, babe. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> he doesn't hilarious. listen, so it's
1: fine. It's fine. <laughs>
0: Okay, back to the trial. So after the jury was set, Catherine's attorneys spoke to the judge, who then adjourned the hearing to the following day. Okay. But it was kind of weird, because it wasn't like they ran out of time. They just, like, he was like, okay, tomorrow, like, we'll pick back up. Well, sometimes I've seen that, you know, just
1: because I watch a lot of, like, uh, law and crime network hearings and stuff. Like, right now I'm watching that stepmom that killed uh, her stepson. So I watch like, a lot of that stuff, but uh, sometimes if they know that it, they're going to be opening up like a whole new piece of evidence that's going to take
0: for fucking ever, yeah. they're like,
1: we'll just do it tomorrow. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's exactly what happened. Oh, so okay. the
0: next morning, in a shocking turn of events, Catherine changed her plea to guilty, <gasps> and the jury was actually dismissed. Ooh. So apparently, when you change your plea to guilty, they don't need a fucking jury. No, yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> exactly. you already exactly. yeah. It it's... was- oh yeah, duh, that was stupid. <laughs> yeah, they-
1: uh, or, you know, they don't- a lot of- People, and I would be too, are pissed off when killers, specifically, where it's like beyond a reasonable doubt, like clearly this person, it's more than just circumstantial evidence. Yeah. They're clearly going to be found guilty. And when they plead not guilty, it's like, you're literally like, making everyone you. suffer through this fucking trial yeah. because
0: you're an asshole. Yeah, you know? exactly. Well, they also killed people, so clearly they're an asshole. Yeah. So it was made public after this that Judge O'Keefe actually knew about the plea change the night before, and that's why he adjourned.
1: Oh. So that that's the really- jury...
0: Could, so that he could arrange for her to get, actually, a psych eval overnight mm. in order to make sure that she fully understood what would happen and what she was pleading guilty to. I see. So that's why he was like, okay, everyone leave. Yeah. The defense attorneys had planned to defend Catherine by claiming amnesia and dissociation, a claim that was actually supported by her psychiatrists, although they did consider her to be legally sane.
1: So they said, yeah, she
0: might have had association and amnesia, but she's sane. Yeah, like she's...
1: Yeah, exactly. Just because you don't remember certain aspects of a traumatic event, you might have amnesia from that, but that doesn't necessarily qualify you to be insane under the eyes of the law.
0: During this overnight evaluation, two different psychiatrists also concluded that Catherine suffered from borderline personality disorder. There we go. Despite the diagnosis, no real reason has ever been given for Catherine changing her plea to guilty. She hasn't really said, like, why. Furthermore, even though she pleaded guilty, Catherine still never accepted responsibility for her actions. So she's like, pleading guilty, but I didn't, I didn't do she's it. She's like, but it's not my fault. He was a dickhead and he was cheating yeah, yeah, on me and exactly. was and, you know, whatever. Yeah. At the sentencing hearing, Catherine's attorneys asked at one point if she could be excused during the explanation of the gruesome facts of the case. She's like, they're too much for me to handle. Which was denied. The judge made her sit good. through it. Yeah, fucking good. When forensic pathologist Timothy Lyons took the stand and began describing the skinning and decapitation of John, Catherine became hysterical and had to be sedated. Bitch, you fucking did it. You did it. You did it. Why are you fucking freaking out now? You weren't freaking out while you were doing it. It reminds me of, like,
1: manic episodes, though, almost, right? Like, when she would be in these moments, it was like there was no stopping her until she, like,
0: was satisfied,
1: you know, with whatever pain she was inflicting on someone or... The argument or the stabbings or the hitting or whatever. So I bet in that moment when you are calm for the most part and you're sitting there and you're watching this unfold, it's not the same as like being in the moment.
0: You know what I mean? But honestly, like kind of glad that she like became hysterical because like she doesn't deserve to not have to sit there.
1: Yeah. She (laughs) has to live with what she fucking did. Yeah. And that's part of taking the accountability is having a full realization of what you did to someone. Of
0: course. Yeah, definitely. And that's why they had to make sure she was sane, so that she knew what she was confessing to, Mm -hmm. or pleading to. On November 8th, over a month after the trial started, Justice O'Keefe stated that the nature of the crime and Catherine's lack of remorse required a severe penalty. Catherine Knight was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. Good. Justice O'Keefe also requesting that her papers be marked, quote, never to be released. (sighs) This was the first time that a life sentence had been imposed on a woman in Australian history. The first time? Yep. That a woman got a life sentence. And this was when? This was in the early 2000s. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Justice O'Keefe stated about the sentencing, quote, She did not qualify for mercy because of her cruel, vicious behavior. She showed him no mercy. She had not expressed any contrition or remorse. If released, she poses a serious threat to the security of society. I am satisfied beyond any doubt that such a murder was premeditated. I'm further satisfied in the same way that not only did she plan the murder, but she also enjoyed the horrific acts which followed in its wake as part of a ritual of death and defilement. The things which she did after the death of Mr. Price indicate cognition, volition, calm, and skill. I am satisfied beyond a reasonable doubt that her evil actions were playing out of her resentments arising out of her rejection by Mr. Price, her impeding expulsion from Mr. Price's home, which he wanted to retain for his children the last minutes of his life must have been a time of abject terror for him as they were a time of utter enjoyment for her end quote like uh, Mike fucking drop
1: fucking hebes, holy shit yeah Ugh.
0: in june of 2006 Catherine appealed her life sentence claiming that a penalty of life in p- prison without the possibility of parole was way too severe for her crime no it's not no it's not Justices Peter McClellan, Michael Adams, and Megan Latham dismissed the appeal in the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeals in September. With Justice McClellan writing in his judgment, quote, This was an appalling crime, almost beyond cont- contemplation in a civilized society. Catherine May Knight is now 67 years old and is still serving out her life sentence at Silverwater Prison, about 20 kilometers or 12 miles away from Sydney. But wait, there's more. There's more? <laughs> In November of 2020, detectives from Lake Macquarie Police District established a force called Strike Force Iriban to investigate allegations that two teenage boys had been abused between 1990 and 2004. The man found in connection with these crimes was one Neville Rohan, who was already facing 15 sexual assault charges relating to the same boys.
1: But Rohan isn't Rohan... Rohan's her... It's Jack Rohan's
0: kid, Due to this new information coming out, after his new hearing, there was an additional 85 charges dating back to the 1960s laid on Neville in relation to a further seven boys. In addition, Roland George Powell was arrested and charged with 28 counts of sexual and indecent assault. Neville was 71 and Roland was 68 at the time of these charges. Now, what does this have to do with the case? You just said it. I did. Neville it's... Rohan was actually born Neville Joseph Knight, and he is none other than Catherine's older brother.
1: That's crazy. <laughs>
0: so he's a pedophile.
1: Yeah. And he's also in prison. <laughs> you said in relation... Really... Oh, okay. But you said in relation to two teenage boys... Oh, but
0: they were the victims of his.
1: Is that what you're saying? Yes. Oh, I see. But
0: the allegations that he sexually assaulted her when she was younger... Might... My... He yeah. was able to do that as a child, and look what he's still fucking doing as an yeah,
1: adult.
0: fucking wild.
1: Well, I mean, they grew up with that, like, overtly sexual household, yeah. too. I mean, that can't help anybody, yeah. honestly.
0: Now, going back to Sergeant Wells from earlier in the story, the police officer that gave the whole statement about what he saw and mm-hmm. his PTSD now. He is now a mental health advocate and is known for encouraging all men and women, especially those working in emergency services, to seek help if they need it. Good. He has stated, quote, Although things have gotten better, I think there's still a lot of stigma around the issue of mental health. After 20-plus years on the job, you become a bit numb to everything you see. You might not feel like you're affected at the time, but it can catch up with you later. Mm-hmm. My condition is something I manage. I see a psychologist once a month. Sometimes I depend on medication. Sometimes I don't. I have a good partner who keeps me level. And good, strong, loving children and grandchildren. Aww. They make me want to wake up every day and keep going. That's my therapy. Oh what a wandy. I know. So I wanted to pepper in the Australian phone numbers for a couple of different lines. So if you or someone you know is experiencing sexual abuse or family violence, contact these two lines, these are both Australian numbers. The National Sexual Assault Domestic Violence Counseling Center is a 24-hour helpline, and that is 1-800-RESPECT, or 1-800-737-732. And then the National Violence and Abuse Trauma Counseling and Recovery Service is at 1-800-FULL-STOP, or 1-800-385-578. This service also offers a specific line for the LGBTIQA community called the Rainbow Sexual, Domestic, and Family Violence Line at one 800 Four nine
1: seven two one two. Wow, what a case! Oh my gosh! I know that was a lot. I know that that's incredible, though. I cannot believe. I bet this is one of the biggest cases to come out of Australia. Oh, I, I bet. really feel
0: absolutely. We definitely better like plug it. And anybody listening in Australia, let me know if you have any more details on the case. Let me know. I can only yeah. find so much over here in America.
1: For sure, I'm yeah. sure there's people
0: that live in that community that hear about and talk about her all the time it wasn't that long ago when she got arrested that's so funny i was talking about dave's lemonade too because because of, of the, <laughs> the yeah Australian that is accent. funny was that last episode or this episode last episode remember. that's so funny yeah, yeah. that's funny maybe that it was this episode i don't know that's hilarious well yeah that was my case it was a, a giant doozy of a case and thank you go- <laughs> i didn't mean to do the a accent doozy of a case a Dave. dingo ate my
1: baby <laughs>
0: <laughs> gotta um, get it out there <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> pins up the whole time a glue cooler <laughs> We, oh, I, I saw this one the other day on TikTok. It was like, if um, if someone from Australia ordered a tuna sandwich and they didn't like it, he's like, um, excuse me, this tuna Chana. looks peculiar. <laughs> Your tuna looks peculiar. peculiar. I can't even do it. Someone send me a voice memo of you saying that if you're from Australia, because I would love to hear it. Ugh. Yeah, we we always love talking about our out-of-our-country listeners. I know we have listeners like all over the world. Like, mm-hmm. Let us know if you're from there. We guys, we really want to hear from you. For I know sure. it's like, We say it every episode, but we're not getting as much emails as we want. I promise you're not going to bother us. We want to hear from you guys. So please let us know if, again, if you know any more information about this case or if you're from another country Mm -hmm. and you want us to do one of your cases, that's totally fine as well. I'm happy to do it. Let us know and give us some merch ideas. We're going to be coming out with more merch items as well pretty soon. So (laughs)
1: Yeah, I, uh, I definitely want to know if this is... When you saw this name pop up, you're like, shit, yeah. Like, I know her, you know? Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, in the meantime, we're going to have our collab episode coming out next. I'm pretty sure that's the next one coming out on Monday. Go follow Lady You're Scaring Us on social media. Go give them a listen. They're really great. I highly recommend their Elliot Roger episode it's really really oh good God, yeah. I,
1: would, I need to listen to that because you do Ellie,
0: i elliot roger has been on my list yeah for like a hot minute they absolutely killed it no pun intended they did a really <laughs> great job on that
1: episode yeah him and uh i definitely have another one that i really want to research uh i have two actually in the works right now that yeah. i'm really excited
0: about so. absolutely and if any of our homies our close homies that are listening want to be uh featured on a dak live shoot us a text let yeah. us know because if you're in town it'll be easy for you to guys for you guys to come on yeah and jump in here with us really excited about our next guest because he doesn't live in town he doesn't so. live in town i know he's traveling he's for making us making a exciting. special trip
1: i'm so excited <laughs>
0: I'll be in his town this weekend. Thankfully, I've had these six symptoms since Sunday, so I'm on the tail end of it. Yeah. In case you have a wedding this weekend, and it's like right a hop, skip, and a jump away from this guy's town. So so exciting. Any guesses? Any guesses? Let us know. Okay. All right. We will talk to you guys. Talk to you guys later. Check us out at diagnosingatkiller.com, please. We ha- we get analytics on there, y'all. So I want to see
1: a spike in our. It literally it takes into account what you click on as well.
0: Yeah. So let
1: me know what you guys think about the website. Let me know what you guys think about the resource, merch, and event tabs. Yeah. Uh, click all those little links at the top in those little circles. We have the Instagram link. We have the LinkedIn link tree. I think on there. Yeah. Patreon. Definitely. Uh, what did I say? Instagram, Twitter. We got all that stuff on the website. Just Absolutely. go to the website. It's a, it's a, it's a catch all.
0: Yeah. You can, you can just. Type it on your phone. I mean, it's super compatible to smartphone. I like the way it looks when it comes across on that yeah. view. And get your tickets to the podcast Paranormal True Crime Festival, and that's going to be 15% off with our code D-A-K-P-O-D, as well as, I was going to say one more thing and now I forgot. Get some merch. Buy some merch. Let us know what you want to see. I want more people to buy shirts. I want to see our faces everywhere. I know. Or our logo everywhere. Yeah. I would really like to do
1: something at the uh, festival, like sign up for a patreon and you get a free shirt or yeah. a free cup or a free sticker or something like that so yeah yeah for sure um come check us out at the boothy booth
0: boothy booth all right we'll see you guys
1: later all right love, love you, you. Bye. bye
0: shopping for your pet has never been easier from crates and carriers to collars and leashes dog.com is your one-stop shop for all of your dog's supply needs Dog.com not only offers a varied assortment of products and accessories for your pet, but they also sponsor a donations program to help pets in need. With Dog.com, you will easily find everything you need for your furry best friend. Click the link in the show notes below for up to 30% off your first online order.